I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Realm Presents Dark Heights Season 2 Episode 11 Tess The front gates to Arson swung open. Hank drove the Severin's car between the pinned-back wings of the gates, exiting the estate, and turned left onto Summit Drive. Will was in the front seat, looking resolutely forward, Lena and I were in the back seat. She reached for my hand and squeezed it. My heart was pounding. I knew we'd be called back. I knew this plan of Will's was foolish. I knew it would all be over in a moment. But it wasn't. The car kept driving. We turned onto Beach Boulevard and drove down the hill into Park Heights. Lena was loud. It's great that we all get to have a night out at Crazy's. I glanced at her, horrified, and Will's head snapped around too. You could see it on his face. Just act normal, Lina. She didn't pick up on it, kept babbling. It's just a very normal night out on the town, right? But it feels special too, actually. I mean, it's been a long time since we've done something nice for a change. A long, long time since... Her words trailed off. There was an eerie hollowness about her, like her voice was echoing from far away. Hank seemed to take no notice. Either he was just used to Lina's outbursts, or he was playing it very close to the chest tonight. 
In fact, he met my eyes in the rearview mirror, and I knew that look. It seemed to be turning out that all the cigarettes we'd had together, mostly in silence, on my long walks from the mansion to the gatehouse, were now paying off. Already, the car had passed the police station on Beach Boulevard, and the extra gas. Then, we were pulling into the parking lot of crazies. I wasn't ready for this. If it didn't work, if we were caught, if anything went wrong, I wasn't going back to arson. No. Tonight, it was all or nothing. We have to meet Jason at Crazy's, Will had said in one of our secret planning sessions. Lina had been inseparable from me since she'd been allowed to return to the mansion. Every day, all day, she was with me. We slept every night in my bed. Nothing else had happened since that first night up in her attic lair. We didn't talk about it either. There was only the closeness between us that I knew Lina needed from me, and she didn't push it further than that. I think she was afraid to do something wrong and drive me away. Will had said, It won't work for Majot to travel to us while we're en route to the diner. We can't just stop the car and jump out. I don't know exactly who will be watching us or if there will be triads nearby, but if we get there, when we get there, to Crazies, I can draw the shield over us and Majot will be able to find us. A few days earlier, we had made the phone call to Jason. Will and Lina had been with me. I dialed Jason's number. There was a landline in one of the servitor's offices on the ground floor, a few rooms down the hall from the library. Will and Lina were crowding me at the desk. Hi, Jason? Um, hi. This is Tess. Oh, hey. Hey. I, uh, I didn't expect you to call. How did you get my number, even? We got it from the sheriff. We? I winced. The Severins helped me to figure out how to get in touch with you. Why? I changed my mind. I'd like to meet you for a coffee. I mean, they helped you contact the sheriff for my number? I looked at Will and Lina. She was making chopping motions with her hands, which obviously meant hang up, hang up right now, while Will was making a rolling forward motion with his hands. Keep talking, just keep on talking. They helped me because it's taking a long time recovering here at the mansion, and I've been sad. Lina was shaking her head, mouthing the words, what the fuck? On the phone, Jason said, that's not great. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. I hope it's okay that I got your number from the police. I mean, of course. I'm glad you called me. Me too. So when do you want to meet? And where? How about Thursday night at 8? At Crazy's? In Park Heights? I realized I had no idea where Jason lived, and that maybe Crazy's was a long way for him to go for a coffee with me. The place with the jumbo smoothies. Yeah, I ate there when I stayed in Park Heights for a few days. Great smoothies. Yeah, they were pretty decent. Okay, it's a date. I put the handset down onto the phone's base. Will said, Now we tell my dad. Marius was reading a book by the fireplace in the second floor room with the balcony. He stood up as we came toward him. Will began to explain that we planned to leave the estate, all three of us, together. 
I felt very afraid to meet Marius Severin's gaze. I could feel it fully on me. Finally, I had no choice. Maybe he was compelling me to lift my eyes to him. It felt like coercion. Then he said, I will allow this. Tess, this is a reward, the first of many rewards. You've done well here, and I feel that this engagement will be good for your state of mind. Will seems to think some normalized socializing will help to dissuade Jason Price from making further inquiries into his brother's death. I'm not sure I see the point. Will stepped up to him. Dad, I think it's fair to say that sometimes you're disinclined to perceive things from a mortal point of view. Jason needs to know that Tess isn't in trouble here, that she's not our prisoner, that she can go have a damn coffee. I don't think he'll leave it alone otherwise. Both of them turned to me. And I'll... I'll be good. Almost impossible not to choke on the word. Lina said, She'll be great. We've talked about it a lot. Will and I will be at the nearby table, pretending not to eavesdrop. To Will, Marius said, I am trusting you with this. If anything goes wrong, I will be disappointed. I thought I saw something pass through Will's expression, an emotion that he struggled for a moment to completely suppress. I didn't know what it was. Fear? Pride that Marius Severand was extending his trust? Or anticipation of what it might mean to break it? Will said, You know you can count on me. I know. And now we were getting out of the Severin's car. This was really happening. I looked around the parking lot, peering into every shadow, expecting, I don't know what exactly. Watchers watching, FBI agents with Uzis. Do they still make Uzis? Nobody uses Uzis in movies past the 80s. My thoughts were too wild, scattering, jittery, crazy, exploding everywhere, nothing but nerves. Keep it together, Tess. Looking up at the riot of colors in the diner's backlit sign, underneath Crazy's 24-7 vegan home of the jumbo smoothie, then peering into its interior where there were people in the booths, I had tears in my eyes. A strange homesickness in the core of myself, like an aching in the marrow of my bones. I'd never loved this mundane world of mine enough to keep it, or anyone else in it, not even close to nearly enough. Green Machine wasn't far down Beach Boulevard. I hoped Mona was doing okay. The Arts Nexus, the Evergreen Motel, Jenny and Karen's B&B, Kevin's mom's house, my mom's house. If Will was right and Lina and I were about to be teleported out of here, did it mean that I'd never see any of this again? There weren't that many patrons in Crazies. The booth in the back, where Lina had met Najot that night, was occupied by a couple of high school students studying, their textbooks sprawled across the table, and there was the booth where I'd talked to Zach that night. It would have broken my heart if Jason had been sitting in it now. Wait a minute. Was that someone I knew, alone at the table for two opposite the door? I hadn't even thought about being recognized here. It was Mrs. Markova, the Russian expat poetess to whom I had often delivered groceries from Green Machine. That's when I saw Jason at a booth in the second row, 
Mrs. Markova stood up when she saw me. Oh, my God, Tess, it is you. Will and Lina excused themselves and went past Mrs. Markova and me. I was aware of them greeting Jason and exchanging a few words with him. Mrs. Markova, how are you? My heart was pounding. Many people worry for you, my dear girl. I know, but I'm fine, as you can see. Much worry, and it is terrible. Many things happen in the town. The fire is terrible thing that happened. I was shaking my head. The fire? I'm not sure I understand. At bed and breakfast? You don't know? Jenny and Karen? The house burned down to ground, and they were killed. A shock went right through me. I don't... I didn't know. No one... I wasn't told anything. I didn't know. Mrs. Markova seemed to read me easily. What has been happening that you would not know this? I have to go, Mrs. Markova. I'm meeting someone. And maybe... Maybe you should go home. I don't know why I said it. Was Will shielding us from the Watchers yet? I didn't know. Had I broken the rules of this night already? Go home? I am not understanding why you would ask me this. I started to panic. Shaking, I left her there, and I went to Jason's booth. He was waiting patiently for me, kind of watching, but not watching, my awkward exchange with Mrs. Markova. But I could see he was alert to the sudden end of it, and my state of mind. You all right? Maybe we can just sit? Will and Lina were a few booths away, and both of them were very aware of me. I met Will's glare. He shook his head firmly. What did that head shake fucking mean, though? Were we calling this off? Jason said, I don't think you're all right. I just need to talk to Will and Lina. Why are they even here? I didn't answer. I had just slipped into the booth, but now I wrenched myself back out of it and went to Will and Lina, still shaking, unable not to stop shaking like a leaf. Lina looked up at me. You're kind of blowing this, aren't you? Will hissed, I'm holding them out. You're fine. It's all fine. I noticed now that he was clutching a tarot card in both hands, the knuckles white with the tension of his grip. Then he said, I'm just, it's just hard to call Majot right now. It worked before, it was easy. I let him know we were ready so he could prepare. Lina frowned. You're expending too much on the shield. Well, you can't help me, can you? She uncharacteristically ignored the jab. Just focus, Will. There was something about her that I suddenly saw clearly. A weariness and a resignation. She didn't think this was going to work, and she never had. We hadn't even asked her opinion about it. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. 
which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pyrrha's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. There was hardly anything left. That was the truth. The Watchers had completed their work, taking everything from her. Whether we escaped or not, for Lina, in a certain way, it was already over. At that moment, all three of us looked toward the entrance as a group of people came into crazies. Will whispered, Oh no. It was three people. Two men in suits behind a third man. I locked eyes with Agent Juan Garcia Madero. Will said, they're just here as backup, just to keep tabs on us. Tess. I knelt down next to Lina. Will said, Tess, no. Lina, let's go. She took my hand. Looking back, I saw that Jason had come out of his booth. He moved. Not toward us. He was angry. He went straight to Agent Madero and the other FBI operatives or agents or whatever they were. But I didn't see what happened. Lina and I fled to the back of Crazies. Will was right behind us. The three of us passed the booth in the back where the high school students were studying, oblivious, earbuds buzzing with music. I took us through the swinging doors at the back of the diner. We spilled into the kitchen. The server was waiting for an order, humming a tune. The cooks at the grill were flipping vegan burger patties and making jumbo smoothies. There was a suspended moment like a tableau. All jaws were dropped. Then I pulled Lina on. Will followed us closely. Past the server, she just watched us go like it was hard to believe this was real, and passed the kitchen into a dry storage room with, off to the side, one of those huge fridge doors that led to cold storage. There was a staff room back there, and there was, of course, a back door. I knew it was there because we'd always put our bikes down outside this back door, all the years I'd been coming here with Kevin or with Iggy. The back door led to the parking lot and the garbage bins. When I hit the exit bar on the back door and flew out into the parking lot, 
Someone took hold of my arm. It was a vice grip, bruising. I was whirled around, and then I was thrown forcefully against the back wall of the diner. Three agents, of course, covering the exits. Will was on his knees with his hands behind his head, as if he were being arrested. Lina stood still. The agent facing her held a gun directly to her head. Then he was backing away and lowering the muzzle when she made no movements, gave no indication of resistance. The agent who'd grabbed me was a big man, buzz cut, wearing the same suit they all wore. Wherever all of them shopped, the place was probably doing all right financially, and all his attention was on me. There was a kind of intense brutality in his eyes that terrified me, an amped-up, kill-or-be-killed intensity. Agent Madero was coming around to the back of the diner. Jason wasn't with them. Neither were the other two agents who'd been inside with Madero. Had they taken Jason into custody? At first, I didn't understand what happened in that moment. The agent with the gun on Lina just fell over suddenly. And the third agent, who'd been in the process of zip-tying Will, leapt suddenly sideways over to the garbage bin to take cover as bullets hit the ground around us. There were people advancing on us from the woods at the edge of the crazy's parking lot, shooting at us. Not at us, at Madero and the other agents. They advanced into the light of one of the parking lot's lampposts. Leading them, this group of commandos in camouflage and tactical gear, was a woman firing rounds with each step forward. It was the other agent, Madero's partner. I'd talked to her in Green Machine that day. Agent Priya Mehta. Will was dragging Lina back closer to the building as he shouted, Holy shit! Madero cursed as he fell back behind the garbage bins. The burly agent who faced me, he did not fall back. Gunfire exploded against the wall next to us. I saw in his eyes that he was not going to let me go. He lunged and grabbed my left arm hard one more time. The last time for anyone. I felt all the anger inside me rushing in a torrent. I couldn't stop it, didn't want to. No one should have ever laid their hands on me. Anger blossomed into power. The Euroboros bracelet went incandescent. A writhing, living energy rippled from the bracelet across the agent's hand and up his arm. His eyes opened wide with fear and pain. Then a surge of blood like a red sash fountained out from his shoulder and into the air before splattering down everywhere. With my right hand, I struck him in the center of his chest. The power released. His body shattered. Disengage! Now, now, now! It was Madero calling off the capture. Will was with me, supporting me as I went wobbling over to one side. Lina stood apart from us. She was staring. Her hands dangled at her sides, and her hair had fallen over her eyes. Agent Mehta was with us now. We have to go. Come with us now. Priya, you remember me. I was struggling. But, but he's your partner. Not anymore. Kind of felt like you were shooting at us, too. Priya didn't comment. Back to the lamppost. Let's go. Now. Is he coming to us, like, right the fuck now, or what the actual shit is happening? See for yourself. 
We looked ahead to the light beneath the lamppost. We were moving toward it slowly, not running. I realized belatedly that I was limping and that Will was helping me, but we were slow because of me, my ankle, where I'd been hurt in the accident. I couldn't put weight on it. What the light beneath the lamppost looked like was this. It was coalescing into some kind of upright rectangle, a door made of light. He stepped through. The warlock, Gabriel Majot. The light swirled in kaleidoscopic colors behind him as the door snapped shut. Lina broke into a run, and then she came to a stop. Because Marius Severand was walking toward us out of the darkness. Priya said in a hush, close to me, don't stop, go. Then she broke away from Will and me and was with the other commandos, all of them now firing their guns at the Watcher, who advanced upon us. Marius's hand twitched, and I heard shouts, cries of pain, ripping impacts, wet sounds. Priya shouting, fall back! Majot was concentrating intently, murmuring words. Then a circle of red and orange lights sprang out to surround him. Arcs of the light flew out from it, lancing toward Marius, who held up one hand and absorbed the energy harmlessly. Will was still with me. He did not look at Marius. I limped, and he took my weight, and we hobbled as fast as we could toward the lamppost, the warlock, our escape. Will, stop. It seemed like Marius's voice had sounded inside my head, a command that could not be resisted. And Will didn't. He let go of me. I fell down to the parking lot asphalt. Marius sounded more reasonable than anything else in the world. Your actions brought me the warlock. And now we can finish this. Together, Will. Come to me now. I didn't. Will was already moving toward his father, but he was looking straight back at me. I didn't. Marius smiled at him. There was a depth of sadness in it that I didn't understand. I know. You thought you were betraying me. Majot was now coming toward me. Everything was moving with agonizing slowness. He held up his left hand, clutching a spear, and his right hand was grabbing from it and throwing something outward, over and over. Flares of energy kept shooting out from the fire that surrounded him, kept pouring into Marius, who calmly took each of them into the outstretched palm of his hand, where they were quenched into nothing. Marius was still talking to Will. And I used you, for my own ends, in order to create this moment. Now, I am sorry for the deception. Majot had almost reached me. Will, my son, I forgive you, no matter what you do. Will looked back at me one last time. There were tears in his eyes. I knew him. I knew it was over. Then Marius was next to him. He put an arm around Will's shoulder. They turned toward us. Lina was with me suddenly, helping me stand. Majot's globe of fire went out with the whoosh of a vacuum sucking the air. He took hold of me with one hand, and he took hold of Lina with the other. He pulled us to him. It happened at the same moment. Marius and Will lifting their hands, 
Majot reigniting his globe of power around us. Like the weight of a mountain crushing down, the Watchers, Marius and Will together, pitched their power down onto us. Majot went down to one knee. His scream of agony struck tears from my eyes. The globe's surface was pounded with blows that hammered it unceasingly. As it buckled inward, I felt its heat on my face. I felt my hair floating in the air and saw Lina's hair floating around her face too. The Euroboros bracelet was sparking on my wrist, but I knew there was nothing left of me to ignite it. Majot, driven down to one knee, held both of his hands out at arm's length, warding us from the flood of the Watcher's power, his will set against their impossible strength. Instinctively, I knew he couldn't hold, not for long. Blood flowed down his face from both nostrils, from his eyes. A surge hit us. Majot cried out as physical trauma lashed into him, passing down through his body. The asphalt beneath him cracked open from the force of it. His shoulder was dislocated. He slumped over to the right. I didn't know how he survived. He grinned, then spluttered through the blood. Not strong enough. With the fingers of his left hand, he snapped. And we were no longer there. I was completely disoriented. Was this the lobby of an old hotel? I didn't understand. Lying on the floor close to us, there were three women. One of them sprang up. She was covered in blood, like Majot, flowing from her own face. She checked on one of the other women, who lay on the floor near us, still unconscious. Doll, she said. Come on, Dalalay, come on. The other woman stirred, waking. Eleanor. I'm okay. Oh, thank fuck. And then the two of them saw what had happened to the third. She was split open, down across the right side of her body, torn apart from the shoulder to the pelvis. Her eyes were wide open in death, staring straight up. Eleanor crawled over to her and gently cradled her head onto her lap. Oh no, 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 no me, no me. I saw that Nomi was clutching a worn, beaten fedora in both of her hands that were bent into claws. The hat was soaked in her blood. And Lina was in Majot's arms. He rocked her back and forth as she cried and cried without restraint, her shoulders heaving, body racked with sobs. Tears flowed down her face. Majot held her. You're safe now. You're safe here. He could barely move. He was gritting his teeth against the pain of his wrecked right side, but his voice had authority in it and pride, and I believed him. I looked down at my right hand, clenched into a fist. I believed Majot when he said it. No one will ever hurt you again. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. 
Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm your portal to another world. Listen away. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller, produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music Supervision by Marcus Bagala Production Manager Alexis Latshaw <laughs>